Well, last week we began our study of Paul's letter of joy, his letter to the Philippians. Now, I suggested that the theme of the letter could be summarized as, I'm rejoicing in my circumstances, are you? We saw that Paul was able to rejoice because he had the fundamental assurances of life. He knew who he was. He was a slave of Christ and a saint, set apart for righteous living. He knew where he lived. His spiritual address was in Christ, so his physical residence, even in prison, didn't matter. And he knew what he had. He didn't have to worry about having been cheated in life. He had received grace and peace. We were able to learn all of that from the two first two verses of the greeting to this letter. Let's see what else we can learn about Paul's victorious outlook on life from the rest of this joy-filled letter. We begin with a pretty amazing statement. I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. I thank my God for all my remembrances of you. Now, how could Paul be thankful for all of them? How could all of his memories of them be good? Well, you know, it's obvious Paul was very close to this church. He even called it my joy and crown. He had actually founded the church some ten years earlier. He visited the church as often as he could, and they supported him financially. Still, there were problems, serious problems, in the church at Philippi. Not everyone got along. There was grumbling and disputing and conflict between members. And Paul had to warn them about dogs and evil workers in their midst. But still, in spite of the fact that everything wasn't perfect in Philippi, Paul gave thanks for all his remembrances of them. Now, how could he do that? More importantly, how can we do that? With differences of opinion and clashes of personality, how can we still come to the place where we can actually give thanks for everyone in the church? Well, we do it the same way Paul and the Philippians did. We do things together that overcome our differences and overshadow our bad memories. Now, Paul could have remembered Philippi as a city where he had been beaten and imprisoned and run out of town, but he didn't. He focused on the good things that brought him joy, the good times they had, the good people who lived there, and the good they did together. And those things so overpowered the bad that he couldn't even remember the bad times and the conflicts. And as a result, 
He was genuinely grateful for everyone there. Well, I believe we can build such gratitude for one another. If we'll do the same things they did together, things that build a solid friendship that can weather all the storms and bring nothing but good memories to mind. And the first thing we must do is pray for one another positively, positively. Paul said he was always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Paul regularly prayed for the Philippians, no doubt mentioning their needs and problems. But he makes special note of the fact that he always expressed joy in his prayers for them. You know, all too often... Our prayers for others are rather negative and sometimes even put-downs. You know, God, I can't take it anymore. Change him. (laughs) Well, Paul had found the positive effect of positive prayer, joyful prayer. He could always find something good to say, something to thank God for about every person. His prayers uplifted others and himself as he focused on their good qualities. And as he prayed positively and joyfully about others, he let them know about it. He writes to the Philippians, I always pray in joy for you. You know, if we focus on the positive when praying for someone, asking God to make us more understanding and give us wisdom and a spirit of grace, the things we actually say to them won't be so apt to offend. We will build up rather than tear down. And we should pray before we speak and pray positively. If we've discussed a matter with the Lord and sought the best in and for our brother, we're going to be ready to minister healing words, not jabs and slurs and insults. And then all of our brother's memories of us will be good, as they ought to be. Pray for one another positively. The next key to building gratitude for and good memories of one another is to work together for a common good. He continues writing, In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's joy stemmed from the fact that he and the Philippians worked together. And nothing pulls people together more than working together. They had. And were still participating, fellowshipping, entering into koinonia with Paul in the work of the gospel. They worked together. You know, the church was never intended to be a spectator sport. I'm not a big sports fan. You're well aware of that. But I do go watch all my 
grandkids. I used to watch my kids in sports, some of your kids in sports. But I've noticed that it's generally the spectators, not the players who complain the loudest when something's going on. You know, the players are too busy working, doing their part to sit around and criticize someone. Likewise, I'm convinced there would be less complaint in the church if everyone got busy working. And make no mistake about it, every member should be involved in the work of the church. You know, if God puts you here, he expects you to be a functioning, contributing member of the body. He's given you a special gift, a talent, an ability, a passion that's to be used for the benefit of all. We tend to focus on the personal nature of Christianity, the difference Christ is to make in our life and at home and at work and in the community. We seldom talk about obligations to the church. But if Christ is ruling your life and is changing everything for the better, you'll see the value of what the church has given you, and you'll seek ways to share in the work, getting that message to others. Now, it's not our desire to build active church members as one would build active Rotary Club members. We want your motivation to come from within, from a converted heart and a love for Christ and his church, not from prodding and pushing and ranting and raving. Still, I trust you do realize we need workers in the church. We need teachers and sponsors and nursery workers. And Shar could use some help, and we worship. You seen the chart out there? How many weeks she signed up, and there's still some empty spots? We need servers and ushers and greeters. We need volunteers to care for the lawn and the building and to help with meals on occasion. We need praise team members and musicians and encouragers and prayers and givers. We need men willing to serve as elders, pastors of the flock. There are lots of things that need to be done in the church. And Paul's gratitude for the Philippians was in part based on the fact that they had worked together from the very beginning. And that they had continued their participation until that day. They kept working. No one sat back and said, I've done my share. Now let somebody else do it. Everyone needs to be actively involved in the life and the work of the church. And if we're working together... We're not going to be so apt to say, well, they're not doing anything for me. We'll be saying, what more can I do for someone else? We all need to be involved in the work of the church. And we all need to be patient as God works in us. For I am confident of this very thing 
that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. In spite of their differences and apparent lack of maturity, Paul was confident that God was at work in their lives. You know, we used to see the letters PBPGINFWMY on plaques and pins. They stood for, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Probably easier just to write that out. God is at work in our lives. We must never forget that God is at work in our lives and that we are all growing and that none of us have yet arrived. We're being molded and matured by the Spirit. And we are at different levels of growth. But we're all growing if the Spirit is in our life. And Paul knew the Spirit was at work in the lives of the Philippian believers. And he knew the Spirit would finish what he started. You know, every genuine conversion is brought about by the Holy Spirit. You cannot become a Christian without the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit that convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. No one else can do that. Others can and should plant seed and water seed and get you thinking, but conversion comes from the Spirit, and ultimately growth comes from the Spirit. There are, however, things we must do if we would grow and grow spiritually. We must work in harmony with the Spirit. We must be in the Word, in fellowship with believers, in communion with our Lord. But we do need to give the Spirit time to work in one another's lives. And be patient if he seems to be taking his time. You know, we really don't want outward conformity to an acceptable pattern for a church member. We want change from within. We want real spiritual growth, and that takes time. And Paul doesn't give us any delusions about having arrived. The Spirit won't be finished with any of us until Jesus returns. We're all growing, and we all need to be patient with one another, comparing ourselves to the perfect, to Jesus Christ not to each other. If we do that, we can be grateful for how far the Spirit has brought each of us instead of complaining about how far someone needs to go. And that enables us to persevere with one another. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment 
and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. Paul was grateful for the Philippians because they had hung in there with him through the good and the bad. The Philippians backed Paul even while he was in prison. I can't help but wonder what would happen if I were brought up on charges. Would you say, well, wait a minute, I know him, I know his character, there must be some mistake or misunderstanding or a good reason for what he did? Or would you say, hmm, did you hear what the preacher did? I heard this, and so-and-so said that, and it must be true. You know, I knew something was funny about him the first time I met him. The Philippians stood with Paul, even in prison. They even sent a member of their congregation to minister to him, to encourage him while he was there. And as a result, Paul remembered them with joy. They stood together against attacks in defense of the gospel. They fought side by side and faced the enemy together. No one could divide them from without. And they were united in facing the threats that came from within. They worked together to confirm the gospel, to demonstrate the truth of the gospel. They stood united behind the leaders of the church. They had confidence in one another. Not that anyone was perfect and could exercise perfect judgment in all things, but that those who had been given responsibility were doing what they felt had to be done and that their actions were motivated by a desire to seek and to do God's will. They hung in together. In spite of failures and blunders, they partook of the grace of God together. That kind of trust and loyalty and forgiveness, Paul was grateful. And as a result, he prized his relationship with the Philippians. And he wanted to spend time with them. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul longed to see the Philippians socially. He longed to be there as a friend as well as an apostle who could minister to them. In Acts 16, we read of the establishment of the church in Philippi, and we immediately get a picture of a close social relationship. Immediately upon her conversion, Lydia insisted that Paul come and stay at her house. And the jailer took Paul to his home, dressed his wounds, shared a meal with him and Silas. They spent time together other than just on Sunday morning. We must know each other if we're to prize one another. 
Sitting in a pew is good, but it's seldom enough to really get to know someone. Being together in a Bible study, eating together, camping together, attending one another's kids' sporting events, sharing in a hobby or a common interest, playing games together, being in one another's homes. These are, these are much better ways to get to know each other and to begin prizing those friendships. You know, if we would long for one another, as Paul longed for the Philippians, we need to be involved in one another's lives spiritually and socially. We need to build good memories together on every level. So let's pray for one another. Let's participate with one another. Let's be patient with one another. Let's persevere with one another. And let's prize one another. Bottom line, let's love one another. And let's let the world see us doing it. What is it that you remember about the church? What is it you remember about the people sitting next to you? What kinds of experiences have you shared together on every level? We've got to work at building the kind of relationship Paul had with the church in Philippi. It saddens me when some people never go beyond a Sunday morning relationship. I try not to judge anyone for that. I try not to browbeat them into doing more. And that's not an indication of the depth of your spiritual walk. You know, we don't judge someone's relationship with the Lord by how often they're at church, okay? And we don't want to lift up someone and say, this is what you ought to be. You ought to be here and here and here and here and here. God works differently in our lives. But we do need to make an effort to get to know each other. Spend time together so we can have joy as a body together. And we can really, truly love each other. And then the world will know we're Christians by our love, the love we share with each other and the love we share with them. They'll know we are Christians.